This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by MediaTek. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Mim Joar, and today is Thursday, January 19th, 2023. And I have two special guests from MediaTek here. I've got Cliff Lynn and, of course, Finn Barmonian as well. And we're going to talk about satellite connectivity on phones. It's a hot topic. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of solutions. And, of course, MediaTek has a solution. So I want to hear about what you know what it involves the technology you know how it's going to look like for the end user so maybe one of you can kind of walk us through basically you know what does it mean for the end customer to have a satellite connection you know i know obviously my audience is familiar with some of the competition but before i talk about the competition for context just just gently walk us through what it involves is it just an offspring of the cellular technology or is it a whole new radio system Yep, I think I can start with that. Actually, uh, even though uh, nowadays uh, cellular technology is very advanced, one of the key things um, that users uh, feel not so good is about the coverage issue. So, for example, in the United States, uh, every time I plan to visit a national park, I need to send out a, a message to my circle. Look, uh, I'm going to visit the national park, so bear with me. I will out of the connect uh, for a while, but be sure I will return back soon. So it is always a, a, a coverage issue all the way. So around 2018, 2019 kind of things, thanks to the, the advance of the cellular technology, we start to think, could it be possible that we can leverage uh, the existing cellular modem and trying to fix uh, this kind of uh, problem? So uh, it starts to emerge could it be possible that the cellular modem can connect uh, with the ter- terrestrial network, uh, what we are experiencing now, as well as uh, the satellite at the same time, such that we can fix uh, the problem for uh, the consumers? And so here goes uh, the so-called 3GPP NTN spec, that is uh, named as a 3GPP non-terrestrial network, aiming to resolve this kind of issue. So all the journey start around the 2018, 2019. So all the way, we are trying to leverage the existing cellular technology to offer the satellite communications for the entire world. But as you can see, along with this journey, there are some competing technology proposed and okay. make this, this hard happen now. So what you're telling me is that there is a standard that 3GPP has been working on to enable this technology. It does require yes. some technology on the satellite constellation as well, right? So you, it's yes. not backwards compatible with old satellite technology. And you guys are working on that. Now, let me touch on the competition to give context to the, you know, to the audience. The first out of the gate, of course, Brick Bruhaha was Apple, who partnered with Globalstar. Now, I, I don't know any of the details of the technology that they're using in terms of adding radios or what. Actually, I, sh- I should say that they made the most noise, but technically T-Mobile and Starlink were the first to announce a partnership. And what is interesting about the T-Mobile one is that they're just using standard 5G bands that, that the carrier supports in the US. So it should work with any f- normal 5G phone 
that is compatible with that US bands for that carrier. Uh, of course, Starlink is putting out new satellites that support that, and because they're low Earth orbit, and they have a lot of satellites, I can see this working quite well. And they're actually advertising that you might be able to upload a photo very slowly, not just do two-way messaging or emergency messaging. So then Apple comes along and does the announcement with Global Star. Uh, I mean, they didn't mention Global Star, but we know that's what it is. And they are doing very basic emergency SOS. So it looks like they probably have extra hardware and some sort of protocol for that. And you correct me if I'm wrong, because maybe they use also some sort of standard. And then, of course, most recently here at CES, we've seen your competitor, Qualcomm, announced a partnership with Iridium using, you know, a similar, very slow bandwidth, two-way communication using their constellation and low Earth orbit. So that's what I know of. But I want to really know what you guys are doing with MediaTek and what it sounds like to me, a worldwide standard that is being put forth by the 3GPP. To me, that's way more exciting to have a universal solution. In fact, if you had asked me before talking to you, I was kind of a big proponent of the T-Mobile Starlink thing, because to me, if any phone can just work, you know, that's gravy. But at the same time, you know, constellations are expensive, satellites are not cheap. And if you want to make it accessible to the consumer, you know, you got to maybe make some compromises. So tell us about what this technology entails in terms of equipment on the phone and what constellations they can talk to or future constellations they should talk to. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I would like to make uh, the first uh, distinct uh, comparison among those uh, competing technologies. As I said, uh, we are uh, working on the 3GPP NTN standard. So that is the standard approach. For all the others' approaches, you can consider that is a certain kind of a proprietary speak. Uh, okay, in particular, that's very important. Okay. Yes. So according to the public information, since uh, we don't know uh, too much detail about what uh, the other uh, people they are doing, but according right. to the uh, the uh, public information, Apple is working with uh, Global, Global Star, uh, that yeah. is a proprietary uh, uh, the. Uh, satellite communication, and mm-hmm. so does the Iridium is a proprietary uh, speak. And even for SpaceX, they claim uh, they want to do something to enable the existing phone unmodified. To some extent, it is not uh, uh, the standard approach. They are trying to modify something in order to make that working. So so that would be a very, uh, a very simple classification about the uh, foundation uh, regarding those uh, satellite communication technologies. Okay. And uh, as I said, uh, when we started formatting uh, the uh, uh, 3GPP NTN in the 3GPP, we try to leverage existing asset as much as possible. It means that not only to leverage the existing cellular infrastructure, but also to leverage the existing satellite infrastructure as much as possible. Uh, having said that, uh, one of the key thing is uh, in the CGPP standard, it defined the so-called transparent architecture. So once uh, there's a constellation based on the bandpipe uh, architecture, it could be converted into the CGPP NTN compliant network. Once hooked up with the NTN enabled base station with the ground station, then uh, it, it will be done. So that, that is why uh, our customers and our partners, uh, they can roll out this uh, 3GPP NTN product and services so quick. It doesn't need uh, additional uh, satellite launch 
uh, to construct the uh, NTN services, it is trying to leverage the existing asset as much as possible. Okay, so just to summarize and to make sure I'm clear on what you're saying, you're saying it's kind of open to the future, the standard that the 3GPP created, correct? So that you could potentially yes. add other constellations in the future. But how is that you know, working? Is that software-defined radio, or is this going to be requiring some different antennas and hardware and RF front ends on the phones and modems, of course? Yeah, that's a good question. Just because uh, we try to leverage uh, the, the cellular uh, industry uh, as much as possible. So uh, when we work on the uh, standard itself, we are trying to think about uh, the uh, user devices, for example, for the smartphone. So we try to adjust or to make uh, the spec working uh, with the existing phone factor, uh, for example, smartphone trying to make the smartphone form factor working mm-hmm. with the, the NTN standard. Uh, so uh, such that uh, uh, for the entire industry, no matter that's an OEM or technology developers, uh, they can uh, leverage uh, uh, the, this, this kind of things as much as possible. So there's no special design for, for the antenna. Definitely, it should be adjusting to fit into the new criteria specification, etc. However, uh, for the fun- fundamental design concept, etc., uh, we want to preserve as much as, as much the same as possible. Let me okay. let me add, Mariam, maybe just for yep. some additional context. This is Finbar. You know, I think Cliff covered some of it, but I think some of the key messages around our approach to satellite connectivity is one: we were very active in actually driving the three GPP standard, so we're very okay. much at the forefront of you know helping the three GPP organization derive this, you know, NTN standard for satellite communication. And as Cliff mentioned, you know, that work started many years ago. Mm-hmm. I think the other approach that we've taken is we support an additional chip that we can add to any phone. So this isn't limited to any one chipset from our side. So as Cliff mentioned, essentially any chipset, any smartphone, you know, can add this additional okay. component. So it's an additional part. It's not it's baked an additional into part. Your, your ultimate 5G modem like you have today. And maybe we'll talk about that, but long term, that's where it's going to go. But at Obviously, least today, you know. at least today, you know, that gives us quite a lot of flexibility to support the bidirectional satellite communication that the you know so-called um, NTN IoT standard that Cliff Cliff talked about. So that gives us quite a lot of flexibility. And you know, we've already seen you know Bullet announce a phone. I was just going to say, so was that announcement you guys related to uh, great because they yeah. I missed that at CES, but I saw the news. Of yeah. them, Bullet, and the Motorola, company who makes yeah. the cat phones, is obviously rugged phones, very popular rugged phones, especially in the UK, yeah. made a demo uh, of the satellite connectivity uh, yeah. using their phone. And so and I our, was actually thinking, this has got to be yeah. MediaTek, right? <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, those are some of the key points, yeah. Can you tell us what constellations the, you know, the technology currently supports? I mean, you might not be, but give us an idea at least. Yeah. So at this moment, uh, uh, the the solution is working with uh, a geostationary uh, constellation, okay. and uh, uh, yeah, it can connect with uh, uh, those uh, constellations uh, uh, once uh, it is three GPP NTN compliant. So potentially, uh, there are uh, many well-established constellation can do that, and definitely, Imasat is uh, on the on the picture. 
uh, according to the news. And there are some other uh, geostationary uh, consolation vendors on the pipeline. As soon as you said geostationary, I knew it was in Marsat because there's really not that many constellations that are geostationary for two-way communication. But presumably, low Earth orbit is supported by the 3GPP standard as well. That seems to be a more future-proof solution to me because we probably want more than emergency communications going forward, right? Yes. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Uh, so uh, uh, some of the uh, the uh, Leo... Uh, satellite constellation uh, operators, so they are working on that part. Cool, cool. Yeah, so the important thing is uh, whatever constellation they are built, uh, once uh, they make uh, this uh, 3GPP NTN approach, you can consider the interoperability is very good. Just like what we are experiencing now with the unified design phone, it can go with any um, carriers once that is a 3GPP compliant. Right. So does the 3GPP NTN a satellite network. Uh, so the ability uh, will grow uh, over time. Right. I was just going to add, Mariam, to build on what Cliff said, right? I mean, I think for your audience, it's probably important to think about this, you know, NTN communication is a, is an evolving picture, right? And so right, right. the first step is in, in the standardization process is what, you know, Cliff's already described as the, you know, NTN IoT, which allows you know, this bi-directional emergency messaging kind of service. But clearly, there is work ongoing, and we're very active. In fact, we'll also be demonstrating some of this on our booth at uh, Mobile World Congress next month, where we're going to see much wider bandwidth communication over the satellite communication networks, which are going to allow for that richer experience in time, you know, even like potentially video calling data exchanges over the satellite network. But that's probably a little bit in the future. But again, you'll be able to see some of our technology at Mobile World Congress um, later this in, in February. Awesome. And I should be there, so I will come by and check yeah, it definitely. out. So in terms of like end user experience, your, your, your customer is the phone manufacturer or the company is integrating the chips in the phones. But how do you see this panning out? You know, is it going to be because it's through GPP, I assume this is going to be adopted by the operators as it rolls out. And it's in the same way as, you know, new standards were adopted, like MMS and others, RCS now, you flip a switch somewhere, some servers get installed, some magic happens, and the consumer has the option to pay an extra something a month, or maybe it's bundled in because they're T-Mobile or whatever, and uh, boom, you get satellite connectivity. And of course, Apple has announced that they're going to be charging for this functionality. So a lot of people are like not realizing that they're going to be charged for this soon, and for now, it's more like, let's see how this pans out sort of thing. So it's it's actually worked out for some people. Uh, I believe that uh, some people have been rescued already using Apple's system. So it's paying off already. And and obviously, uh, as a consumer, I would love to see that to be included, kind of like 911, you know, emergency services are included. But again, you know, the 3GPP standard lets you dial an emergency number without even a SIM installed on the phone. So I'm hoping that we get to a point where this is kind of how the world treats this technology. You know, obviously, MediaTek has no control over this, but how, how do you guys feel? All of what MediaTek does is to improve our lives. So is that what you'd like to see happening long term? Yeah, indeed, uh, that is uh, the origin of the uh, uh, 3GPP uh, NTN standard. If I can say more, one of the uh, phenomena of uh, people's uh, in modern life is uh, coverage anxiety. So for example, once uh, I found uh, I Wi-Fi disconnected or I have uh, no uh, cellular 
uh, connections such that I got this kind of anxiety in mind. So one of the key thing uh, for uh, what you uh, just uh, uh, portray for the future, uh, we are going to provide the peace of mind for, for everyone. Uh, just because uh, satellite communication based on 3GPPNTN will be complementary to the serial coverages. So once uh, they are emerged uh, perfectly, pretty much uh, you will provide the uh, peace of mind for everybody. No matter where you go, uh, you will get connected. Um, but due to the nature of the, uh, the limitation constraint of those uh, uh, satellite communication uh, versus uh, serial coverages, you need to choose... Uh, different kind of uh, message way or communication way, but at least you will stay connected all the way. Right. And I think I think what we're going to see is, you know, a little bit like what Apple has done, right? They've rolled out a, a sort of a service model for this, right? And if you yeah. look at what Bullet um, showed the world at the CS show a couple of, you know, even last week, that was also rolling out their satellite service model, right, in terms of right. providing a service. So I think that's kind of the initial phase. I mean, we can also imagine, as you mentioned, this getting bundled in with operator packages as well going mm-hmm. forward, right, as the operators, you know, cellular operators provide this as perhaps part of the service as well going forward. So I think we'll see a mix of models in the short term um, and, and, and it rolling out in, in different ways going forward. Great. We should wrap up. So any final thoughts that you guys want to share with me? Yeah, I think uh, at this moment, uh, uh, to, to consumers, uh, to this industry is uh, a very exciting moment just because uh, the uh, satellite communications uh, becomes a, a very, a very hot topic and people appreciate that. And that is really debut uh, arena. Uh, we can really bring in the smartphone users into another another stage, not only communicate with each other, but also carry on the peace in mind uh, in their life in the future. Wonderful. Yeah, no, we're excited. We've got a, a proven solution. You know, we've got customers already demonstrating real devices with this capability. So it's it's going to be real, you know, very, very soon. And, you know, MediaTek will continue to work, I think, at the leading edge of the 3GPP standardization path to bring this technology forward and the next evolution of the satellite connectivity technology for the future. Yeah, I, I'm very excited. I predict this is going to be a standard feature on every phone within five years. It's just going to be a no-brainer. It's just going to make life better for everyone. Exactly. Thank you both, Cliff and Finbar, for being on the show again. We're going to continue now with the news and the reviews of the week, but um, thanks again. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. And folks, I'm back with Mark Linsangen here. Uh, We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. Hi, Mark. How's it going? Doing very well. How about you? I'm happy as a clam because of the new Macs. I just, Uh, you know, this is not super mobile because there's some Macs in there that are not. But this, look, I'm not as excited about the pros simply because I don't need that level of power. Like a lot of people right. are like, really, Miriam? Come on. And I'm like, well, it's a value thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I have an M2 Air. Okay. And honestly, it does everything I need it to do. I'm never feeling like, oh man, I need, I need a faster computer, right? <laughs> My iMac 27 inch Core i, whatever it is, seven or something. I feel yeah. as a dog slow. Like, I feel like I need a better computer. And I've got oh, an yeah, SSD no. and everything. I so. totally get you. Like, whenever I try to use an Intel-based Mac, it feels, like, really, really slow compared to, you know, any of my M1 Macs. 
So what what do you what do you have? What's your setup? So right now I have a 14-inch M1 Max MacBook Pro. Uh, nice. It's got 64 gigs of RAM, four terabytes SSD. That's just because this is what I use to make videos, right? Yeah. But when the new ones came out or were announced, I was... So here's the thing. Let me back up. Yeah. When the Mac Mini was first introduced with M1 chips, I was really hoping they would introduce M1 Pro for Mac Mini. Ah. And that's what I was going to pick up initially. But since they didn't do an M1 Pro, uh, I just went for the MacBook Pro. Uh, And now that they announced M1 or M2 Pro for Mac Mini, I was like, this is this is what I've been looking for. Right. Do you travel a lot though or not? I do. Well, yeah. I mean, this year alone, I, I've got like four flights that in the next month. So you're like me, two. you're always on the road. So it does make sense to have a fast Mac with you when you travel. Sure. Yes. Okay. But it's so nice to edit on a big screen. Um, for sure. You yeah. know, bigger screen than a 16 inch MacBook Pro. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, the way I see it is I've always had a mobile Mac because I'm on the road a lot, but it's always been the lighter Mac in terms of performance. I've always yeah. been like, as long as I can edit some audio and video and photos, but not like, you know, a 4K timeline of 20 streams, I'm good right. with a portable right. Mac. So yeah. I've always been kind of what's, you know, what's the word? Mm, comfortably, you know, okay with less performance on that. Sure. Right? But yeah. so for the longest time, you're going to laugh at this. I had a MacBook 12 inch as my portable. Oh my God. The original, but Max The one with the one USB-C port. Yeah, correct. But the very original. So not even the fast one, like the one that they, because they made a slightly faster one, second gen. What was the uh, processor on It was like some kind of Core M, like Core M, right? Yeah, yeah. It didn't have any active Like M5, M7, one of those, Not even that. It was just Core M. Like it was probably essentially a Celeron in there. I don't know. It was terrible. But here's the thing. I used it up to the point where I bought a MacBook Air M1. Right. Wow. So that gives that, you perspective, that, right? Wild. It was still wow. okay. Like, I have to say that, the, of course, I bought the MacBook Air M1 during COVID. Sure. And so I wasn't obviously traveling as much then, right? Like, yeah. relatively speaking, I wasn't traveling as much. So it wasn't a big, like the last, I think the last year that I had that, I wasn't using it, right? Like, I didn't notice. Right. It was probably a little long in the tooth, but then I got the M1 Air and, you know, simultaneously I have this kind of, not the most recent, but I think like three years ago, the most high-end iMac non-pro you could buy. Yeah, yeah. And and that thing I feel is completely dog slow to me now. At the time it was fine. Sure. You know, so I think I was used to being I guess, patient with my Macs. I didn't feel like it was a right. problem. And right. then when I got the M1 Air, basically because I promised myself, years ago, I thought that the 12-inch MacBook was going to evolve into an ARM-based computer. I thought that right. the in- they were going to go to continue Intel and everything, but that was going to be the one because I didn't think they could do ARM like yeah. they did. Like I didn't think they could reach that level of performance at the onset. Like I think they really waited until they could prove that Intel was irrelevant, right? You know what I would love for Apple to do is to bring back that 12-inch MacBook and put like the M3, base M3, right? There's Correct. no Pro, there's no Max. Yeah. And then give us like a 15-inch Air with M3, M3 Well, that's Pro. coming. I think a 15-inch Air with M2 is coming this year. Right. I can so, feel it. 
but if you look at their you know list of computers it's like you have a 12 inch you have a 15 inch air that's portable you have the pros that are 14 and 16 right so i think it makes sense to have all of those um like lightweight laptops available as well yeah so i would love that and that's kind of ideal what i want but when the m1 air came out i was like this is the arm mac it's a bit bigger and heavier but i'm gonna get it right so yeah. I did, and oh my god, I was like, I can't believe this! I basically made it my main computer for a while, and but it's then a great I, fe- I needed the bigger screen, and you know, my iMac is new enough now in terms of software updates that it no longer mm-hmm. supports a uh, target display mode. Oh. I don't know if you know that for a while you could use a 27 inch iMac as yeah. a display, mm-hmm. but they removed that from the firmware at some point with one of the OS right. updates. I think when they left. When they left the 32-bit apps behind, whatever uh-huh. version of the US that was, I think it was, I want to say the one after after Mojave or Mojave maybe is when right. they just turned off displays target. Because I was going to, I was all excited. I was like, I'm going to plug this into my iMac display and no. And it doesn't work. Yeah. But so the M1 Air was a revelation. At that point, I was like, almost, almost tempted to go out buy a Mac mini. So since we're going to get onto that in a second. And, uh, but I was like, you know, I need a good display and I can't use my iMac as display mode. Yeah. So I'm almost tempted to gut out the iMac. You know, the, the, you've seen the videos right. of Luke yeah, Miani and videos. stuff. They've yes. done the thing where there's actually videos. boards now that I sold third party that like integrate cleanly. Like you can modify an iMac 27 inch with a 5K screen and make it into a bonafide monitor wow. that aesthetically looks good, uses the existing ports and the whole shebang. That's so right? cool. Gives you a hub and everything. And how much is that? It's like 300 bucks or something, plus all really? the manual labor, right? Okay. But it comes as a kit, so it even includes the, the little uh, adhesive gasket around the screen. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. But I feel kind of bad to throw out the guts of this kind of perfectly good. So I'm more tempted sure. to go on eBay and buy a non-functional Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm at 27 sense. with like yeah. that has bad GPU or something, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then just DIY it. Because here's the thing I've been looking at the displays, you know, Lenovo, LG, Dell, mm-hmm. and Samsung. Yeah. I can't make sense of them. Some people are saying they don't work properly with Macs. Some people are like, you know, there's some, you know, it doesn't support all the resolutions. Yeah. And the Apple displays are. Just, there's no way I'm spending that kind of money. It's stupid. Yeah, I have it's one. Stupid. <laughs> I have oh one boy, right okay. <laughs> and uh, I mean, here's the thing. I, I do agree. I've tested a bunch of other non-Apple displays where you know you try to wake up your Mac from sleep and it doesn't do it right away. It's a big deal, right? Instant wake is a big deal, especially for me having used M1, M2. Um, yeah, right. You know, processors where it's like instant on. Uh-huh. Um. So I kind of get a little impatient. And then so the thing I did was buy the Apple Studio display. And it's honestly worth the investment for me. It's not for everybody, but for me, I, but you I know, really enjoy it. Hearing it from someone who is invested in the ecosystem and like you just, I, I mean, I'm not going to go buy one because still I think it's too much for my needs, but it's nice to see that it's actually working out for you because I've a lot of people I've talked to, I mean like, yeah, it's great, but I'm not sure it's worth the money. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of a counterpoint to that. And it's kind of good yeah. to hear that. Basically, you know, I'm realizing we've gone nine minutes into this part of the show. And <laughs> we haven't mentioned, of course, it gives you, if you guys, unless you crawl from under a rock right now, Apple announced the M2 
Pro and Max chips and, and announced new MacBook Pros to go alongside those. But more importantly, they announced a refreshed Mac Mini Mm -hmm. that has both the M2, like like before, like with the M1, but has now an M2 Pro, which according to some leaked benchmarks might be putting the Mac Studio to shame. That's what I'm hearing. So that's kind of why we're having this whole discussion because I'm at the point now, Mark, yeah. where I live in two places. I'm here in San mm -hmm. Francisco today yep. on front of my iMac, which is a nice setup, yep. big screen. It's kind of getting long and dated. I've been considering all these, you know, do I gut the inside and buy a Mac Mini? Yeah. And until now, I was like, buy a Mac Mini M1. I'd be perfectly happy with that. Sure. But then they threw me a curveball with this Mac Mini M2. And I'm like, okay. And then more importantly, I also have a place in Vancouver now because I'm kind of commuting. And there I've been just using sure. my MacBook Air M2. By the way, at some right. point along the way, somebody gifted me, oh, they're so lovely, a MacBook Air air m2 so i have an wow, m1 and an m2 that's so, so awesome so i've been using the m1 as kind of like a desktop in sure. vancouver and then the m2 as my mobile machine is your portable right right since i travel a lot and and of course i don't have a monitor for the m1 like okay it's just sitting there i'm just using the retina display and it's a little cramped right it's tiny it is so tiny. maybe i should bite the bullet and just find a good monitor that's not Apple and buy two mm -hmm. of them or, and then buy the yeah. M2 mini for San Francisco, or I should just buy two 27 inch IMAX and gut them and turn them into uh you know, I don't know. Like this is if, the thing. If like, you have this, the time, if you have the time to do that, then well, you I know, feel I'm a like, pretty good tinker. It's not more time. It's yeah. more a matter of like, I want to do it well and do it right. Like that's right. the thing. Mm -hmm. um, and those displays on the IMAX are really, really nice. Like, Oh, they're amazing. Just incredible still today. Yeah. So I'm super excited because they did an M2 Mac Mini, but they also did an M2 Pro Mac Mini. Yeah, that's what got me. That's what got me. Um, M2 for $599, was it? Is it yeah, and that's the other thing. The price is, is the price even lower than it was? It's uh, $100 lower than before. And then on top of that, if you are a student or, you know, professor at a school, you could get the EDU discount, which shaves $100 off even more. So it starts at $499. So pro tip, unless you're in a rush and your Mac mini right now, you have one and it's literally falling apart. Um, I would say wait for the refurbs to come out. Yeah. Because Definitely. the refurbished Apple store has always been a, a wonderful experience for me. And yep. for something like that, that is going to sit in the corner, I'm not even going to notice if it has some kind of like defect. Scuff, yeah. And honestly, I have never bought a refurbished Apple product that was cosmetically defective. I don't know how Same. they do it. Same. They definitely replace whatever parts need to be replaced. It's like, I don't even see why you wouldn't buy a refurb at this point. I bought an iPad Pro 11-inch, the 2018 one, like the very first 11-inch uh, Pro, and it was refurb, and it looked brand new. So. And so if you're listening and you're going, I didn't want to tune in for MediaTek satellite internet <laughs> on phones, followed by two people gushing about Max. There will be phone news. Just hang tight. Yes. I just need to gush for a moment because look, every time I use my MacBook Airs, either the M2 or M1, I'm just like blown away still today. And, you know, every time I use this iMac, I'm just like, Ugh, it's okay. It's fine. Like, but yeah. like just processing audio in Audacity, which is my main audio editor. I know a lot of people are like, Miriam, come on, spend the money, buy something reasonably good. You're <laughs> yeah. a professional. Dude, I don't need it. It works. I, I worked in video games before I was 
a tech journalist for two decades. And I came from Cool Edit Pro, okay, in my work, in my line of work. <laughs> now, granted, I was a software engineer. I didn't actually create audio content for the games much, but I always had to have some sort of audio editor around. And that evolved eventually into, you know, Cool Edit was one of the programs that evolved, I think, into Adobe Audition. But mm-hmm. the point is, I've always had some kind of free open source editor. And so Audacity has been in my toolbox forever. And as not... perfect as it is. It's great because it's cross-platform. If I'm ever stuck on a friend's PC and I need to edit my podcast, I can just do it, you know, um, et cetera. So I want right now a mini M2, probably non-pro because I don't need that kind of horsepower, but I probably want the 512 gig version. So I'll probably have to spend $200 more because that's the problem now. You can't upgrade them. And damn, Apple spends a lot of money on these. It really is a lot of money if, uh, from RAM to SSD. It's it's crazy. So which one would you pick since you have an M1 Pro? MacBook. No, so I have an M1 Max. MacBook you have a Max. Pro. Okay. So you you're not do you're not going to upgrade that, right? I so I'm not upgrading the MacBook Pro. Uh, I'm I'm keeping this laptop for a while. Uh but what I did was place an order for an M2 Pro Mac Mini with i believe a terabyte of ssd uh i didn't upgrade the processor just because i didn't really need it uh but i did upgrade the ram to 32 gigs which is the max that you can put on a you do a lot of 4k video editing though right i do a ton of 4k video editing i do a ton of after effects work sometimes too okay uh and so i just want to be able to you know sit down at a computer if i'm not on the go and edit you know, in front of yeah, this desk. and be super productive, and that makes perfect sense. See, I do yeah. like mostly my most of my videos on my YouTube are 1080p still. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just lazy, and uh, sometimes I do some 4K work, but I never do After Effects or anything. And at most, I'm mixing two or three, you know, videos right. in in Final Cut. So, and then you know a few effects here and there that are built in. I don't have any plugins or anything. So I'm I'm pretty lightweight. That's why the M2 Air and the M1 Air are just fine. Even this iMac yeah. is yeah, it's a little slow for 4K. But but the point is that's why I don't think I'm gonna get the um, the M2 Pro for my Mac Mini. But for, yeah. for Vancouver, that would be a good combo to have. That and yeah. a 4K monitor of some kind or 5K 27 inch iMac. Yeah. I really need to look into that more. Huh. Well, I mean, what is nice about the M2 Pro is that you get an additional two Thunderbolt ports in the back, right? Uh, Oh, you do? I didn't catch that. Yeah, M2 also... Well, the regular M2 Mac Mini only gives you um, two Thunderbolt 4 ports and two USB-As. I knew that. Uh, And if you get to M2 Pro, you get an additional two. Just like the Intel Mac Minis. Uh, And an updated HDMI port. Okay, so basically all the benefits you're getting on the new MacBook Pros as well, I believe. They get, yeah, well, so you the can do ports, HDMI no, 2.1. But the, the HDMI 2.1, that's a mm-hmm. huge update, right? Because huge, huge. People can do 8K, right? Now, 8K at 60, I'm pretty and sure. high refresh right? rates, right? On 4K? And 4K up to 240 hertz. Ooh, juicy for games. I mean, yeah. does anybody if, play games on a Mac? If you want a game on a Mac, right? <laughs> I know. Maybe. Well, look, I think this is exciting. I mean, I want to talk about two more things on this topic real quick. And it's the, you know, are they kind of eating their own selves here? Like their own t- like tail with with the Mac Studio being outperformed by the top of the line, you know, 
Mac Mini. And then the next question is, this this weird announcement that kind of came in mid-January with an accompanying video that looked like it was going to be some kind of keynote video. Right, What right. are your thoughts on two, both of these things, starting with maybe the Mac Studio tail thing? Right, tail. so the Mac Studio, I've, I've actually been holding out on Mac Studio. I've been wanting a desktop computer from Apple that's, you know, an, an Apple Silicon computer. But what drew me away from Mac Studio was the price and given that I already have a, a laptop with like a similar processor, it just didn't make sense. So I was like, I'll just wait for M2 Pro Max or Ultra when the next studio comes out. Um, and actually, if you price out the M2 Pro Mac Mini, uh, you can actually, I think it's going to be around the same price as a, a, a Mac Studio, an M1 okay. Max Mac Studio. Um, wow. And... I think they are sort of biting their own tail to, to some extent just because of the pricing. But if you look at it, I feel like Mac Studio still has its perks with, you know, more reports. Yeah. Um, you, you have more graphics cores technically with M1 Max. Um, so it's not all about the CPU performance. So if you use more GPU power, maybe you'll lean more into the studio. Okay. Um, but if your tasks are more CPU oriented, then maybe the M2 Pro Mac Mini might might make more sense for you. But yeah, yeah, no, I feel like there's also like a bigger case means better cooling, and of course right. the, the M1 Max is it? Yeah, or no, M1 Max and Ultra. Ultra, the Ultra, right? Is has mm -hmm. a, we know it's much heavier that Mac Studio, right? It has a much better cooling system, and that's what it's that case bigger. was designed for. But if you look at yeah. the, just the, the Max, right, it's mm -hmm. it's kind of a half empty in there. So in a way, like, this is my engineering self-thinking, like, you're probably, like, when you have extra room to spare, like, physically in this case, but also thermally, you, yeah. you know, you're, you're, that thing is going to be bulletproof in terms of reliability, whereas that for sure. Mac Mini M2 Pro might get kind of to the edge of the thermals that that case can handle, right? Yeah, and that's what a lot of people are worried because, like, did they change anything inside for the Pro? Because well, we'll I know, for I, I know that M <laughs> yeah, I know that M2 runs a little hotter than M1, especially on the air. But, I noticed it on the air, actually. Yeah, so given, I mean, yeah, you have M1 and M2 to compare. Like if I put them both on my lap, the M2 doing the same task does it faster, slightly, but it does get mm -hmm. it a little bit warmer and battery is a little less, but I still think right. my M1 Air is my battery champion. Oh, but not absolutely. by much. Not by absolutely. much, though. Yeah, yeah. if you're yeah. looking for battery, I feel like M1 Air is still amazing. It really is, but I wish I had the better camera and the MagSafe. Mm, sure. That's the yeah. two things. I mean, the display is slightly better too, but honestly, I don't really notice it that much. Yeah. MagSafe is a game changer though. The camera, I do notice. And, and the MagSafe, yeah. man, it's really nice. It's just really yeah. nice. It just frees up another port, you know? When I travel, I don't use the MagSafe. I just use USB-C because I have so... <laughs> Same. Right? Same. So since I travel a lot, it's kind of redundant, but oh well. Sure. Yeah. But look, I'm excited. This is a big, exciting announcement. What do you think about this, the timing and the, the weird, like, oh, hey, we have a video to go side with Right. This. So, I mean, I was reading online uh, that that announcement was actually supposed to happen in October. Right. That's uh, what everybody's saying. I'm not sure why they postponed it. Could be because supply of chain, like, for supply sure. chain issues yeah. again, per usual, is their usual response nowadays. But yeah, I mean, January, it's, it's a weird 
product cycle, I guess, for them. It's unusual, really. Yeah, but I mean, I personally don't think it's a problem. Like, I feel like if you don't have a Apple Silicon Pro Mac right now mm-hmm. and you need to be portable, like, it's a no-brainer, right? Oh, In the yeah, same way sure. as the M1, you know, MacBook Pro was a no-brainer when it came out, the one you have. Yeah. I mean, most of the people I know that have the M1 MacBook Pro have the the one, what, the M1 Pro, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because the Mac seems to be a little much, but maybe I'm wrong. You've got the Mac, so tell me. I've got the Macs, and I mean, battery life is a little bit worse than, obviously, the M1 Pro. I have a buddy who has the same machine, um, but they just got an M1 Pro instead, uh, up to 32 gigs, and I think he got eight terabytes of storage. Oh, but, my God. Wow. Yeah, I don't know why he did that, but he was just like, I, I mean, I'm, this is going to be my laptop for the next five, six years, so I'm, I, I don't plan on upgrading it. So here's the thing that I'm a little worried about. Actually, you're a Mac user for a long time. You know this. You understand this. Mm-hmm. Is I used to keep my Macs for five years. No problem. Right? Mm-hmm. In the Intel time span. Even before that, on yeah. PC. Like that MacBook 12-inch, I had for five years. Yeah. And this iMac is three years old, and it could probably go another year. Mm-hmm. I did add some RAM to it at some point. That helped. Sure. Intel's really like RAM. Whereas the Apple Silicon doesn't seem to mind if you're short on RAM. Both my Airs are only 8 gigs, and I'm honestly surprisingly fine with that. Um, I got extra storage on them, like a 512, because I need a little bit of room. But I didn't get like even a terabyte or anything like that. Because I've always had 512 on all my Macs. Basically, I've had 8 gigs and 512s for the last 5 years. And I went to to, uh, 32 gigs on my iMac because that seemed to really help. At one point, it started choking. I think when I upgraded to Big Sur or something, it was just like, ugh. Yeah, it was choking. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So anyway, I'm excited about these. I think that what I'm more excited about, honestly, is as you said, like, I don't think it's going to happen, but like a a smaller air. And then even better than that, what I want to see is this 15 inch air. Not for me, but like my spouse, for example, is on an Intel last generation of the Intel MacBook Air, like the final one. Yeah. And just like they're hurting, they're hurting hard. I still know a couple of people who have their Intel MacBook Airs and yeah, they, they definitely need an upgrade. Yeah, so basically I'm thinking, let's get them on, you know, and they want a bigger screen, So, but the Pro doesn't make sense for what they do. So let's get them on a 15-inch Air M2 when that comes out, hopefully later this year, you know? I hope so. I hope so. All right, let's switch gears and talk about some of the other news we have this week. So, you know, I just want to kind of squeeze it in here because I think it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Funny and fun, because I'm an audio person. I cannot sure. get excited about this. But Sony launched two new Walkman, right? And and if you know what that means in 2023, it doesn't mean they launched cassette or Discmans or, or mini disc players that they have all been branded Walkman. This yeah. means it's it's you know it's a digital audio player, Android based. Like they've been doing this for years now. Mm-hmm. But these are really really nice, and some of the specs in terms of audio, if you're into audio, are very enticing. If you, you know, it almost makes sense to me if you're really into audio and you have some yeah. high bit rate audio, high sample rate audio. Um, you know, like flag stuff or some, mm-hmm. you know, some DSD, some, some, you know, SACD rips uh, that you want to listen to. This is the way to go. 
probably makes more sense than having a smartphone for that because the headphone amp and right. everything in that thing is better. So what's your take on these? Cool. And it looks cool. Um, so I've personally have never had a Walkman. However, I do have something to show you in video. I've found an old phone of mine. It's a oh Sony my Ericsson God. Yes, Walkman. Yes, the Walkman phone. Yes, I had that from Sony Ericsson. Yeah, as you can see right here. Um, and it's from Singular. It's funny. Uh, but oh, yeah, yours is the actual official branded carrier one. Unreal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I love this thing. You know, I, I love listening to music on this. And this is the closest thing that I could get to having a Walkman. And seeing this news was kind of like kind of cool because like you don't really see a lot of digital media players nowadays just because we all have our smartphones with spotify apple music uh, but the but thing is you true, can still use this for spotify and apple music right, just you need a wi-fi connection Android. right and that's maybe what your smartphone is for you know in right. your other pocket gives you wi-fi connectivity to your mm -hmm. music player and this thing right. is there's they look pretty small and compact yeah. and really well made and also yeah. not cheap but Not at cheap. the same time, how much is this? Like three hundred oh, bucks? I can't remember. I think the cheaper one of the two is like three ninety nine or something. Wow! And then so the you higher have to end love one, audio. You have yeah, the to high love end audio. one is they're basically identical, but the high end one has a slightly bigger screen. It has much better audio electronics, including gotcha. some like proper capacitors and stuff in there. Yeah, which probably won't age super well meaning like this is one i don't know if you follow this because i'm old enough that i had mini disc and i had cassette walkman and i had discman and there's like the whole cottage industry nowadays of people rediscovering those mediums right oh Buying i love i have i had a md player growing up so. so you know and the biggest problem with a lot of the older ones is that either one of two things of course the belts need to be replaced they gunk up and get old uh, on mm -hmm. the anything that's mechanical that has a belt, which is mostly the cassette players, because the right. the discman early discman had a belt, but the later discman were direct drive, where the spindle is directly driven by the motor. The little mm -hmm. carriage that moves the laser around has always been on some sort of like screwed mechanism, so it's never yeah. had a belt usually. And the mini discs never had belt because they're so miniaturized; everything is super ultra compact. But but those need to be erased. Of course, there's no belts here, but the capacitors is going to be something that uh, a lot of higher-end products with capacitors, including even power supplies on old Macs and, and old audio gear go bad. They leak, and then you have to replace them, and it's a real right. ass. And this thing is so small that, you know, 20 years from now, not to mention Android won't work anymore on this 20 years from now properly. That's the thing, Who knows right? it'll even connect to Wi-Fi anymore, because you know how At that I have point, some old yeah. gear mm -hmm. from 20 years ago, like some old, you know, PCs, that had like external Wi-Fi cards right, that can't right. connect to Wi-Fi anymore because uh, everything is WPA now and they don't support that. <laughs> That's right. Like, you know, Wi-Fi yeah. B like still works. Like you, you, yeah. you know, some routers will still let you fall back to, you know, the super slow original Wi-Fi, but you need WPA uh, at least to, to connect, connect with security. Right. WEP is no longer supported and some of these cards is only support WEP. So for my little collection of old laptops and things that I, sometimes I want to run Linux on a really obscure old, you know, like Toshiba Portage or something. Yeah. I have a, actually an old Airport Express that still oh supports gosh. web that I've got That's set up amazing. to be just a, you know, it's connected wire to my network 
as like a you know a separate sub sub network and i just it lets me connect these devices that like kind of legacy devices basically that's awesome that's a keeper for sure so you know i always think about this with technology it's like you know we're rediscovering all this old portable tech from 20, 30 years ago. I, I mean, younger people are like, I know a lot of the people are buying old Walkman and Discman record players. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. I think this is awesome because there's something really wonderful about having a tangible format in your hand, like a yeah. medium that's real. But I'm worried that we're never going to experience, like if you pull out an old iPhone right now, you know, you can't connect to the app store and download apps like, you know, because no, it no longer no. lets you. You had to right? be there. You had to be you there. You have to kind of use it as is. And I'm worried that, you know, and even some phones can't be activated anymore. If you buy like a brand new iPhone and the it's an old enough OS on there, like, you know, something that's never been opened and sat on the box. Like you're like, go to eBay and you buy like a, an original iPhone 3G or something, right? Yeah. Because you're like, oh, I remember this. And, and it's kind of like, I want to put in my collection. You've got an yeah, iPhone 4 like behind me. like an exploded me. one, yeah. Yeah. For those of you on Patreon who are watching the video version of this podcast, by the way, in case you don't know, there is a video version of the podcast that comes out early, less edited, where you can see us talk. And, and more importantly, you can see the Walkman phone that Mark brandished in front of the camera earlier yeah oh, brandishing it again and behind mark right now is an exploded original iphone is an original four. iphone 4 which is four. my first yeah. uh iphone that i saved up for because i couldn't uh pay how much was the uh 3g it was and 3gs expensive. i can't exactly remember. yeah and then i think around the iphone 4 is when they kind of trickled down the price I just a little bit zoomed you in because i, I had you in a push a stamp window and i can see yeah. now that's an iphone 4 i love the 4 anyway the point is if you have the the uh, you want to collect nowadays some of these iphones if they're brand new in the box and you actually go through the you know uh, the losing all that value of opening the box up and actually using them you will find that some of them won't activate and that is sad because then you can't even use what's on them. Like you can't just use them to listen to music, take photos, you know, not listen to music because there's no music on there, but let's take some notes, take photos, whatever it might right. be. And, and you, it might not work with, with iTunes either in terms of like copying that data back. So you might have to like, maybe if you're lucky, you can set up a Yahoo email account and set, oh, send man. these photos out or something. And this is where Android is kind of superior, right? Because you know that you can run ADB and it'll still connect to the file yeah. system and you'll yeah. still get your photos off of some like ancient, like galaxy S two totally. or something if totally. you need to. Right. And plus those older devices had micro SD slots. So, you know, right. Anyway, I'll link to an inverse story that talks a little more about these two Sony Walkman. If you guys are into that, I just love that Sony's still doing this. They're doing, nope, nope, nope. Like, I don't care that Apple stopped making the iPod Touch. We're going to make our own version of this. Yeah. We've been doing this. Like, this is not the first. They've done this for years now. For at least five to 10 years, they've been making Android-based high-end yeah. music players. So I was just wondering, like, how small is this walkman gonna look like um because i know from the pictures i've seen a couple and they look tiny they look very tiny yeah i think it's like deco card size do you think it'll be like this small or no bigger than that bigger, bigger than, than phone. that i mean those phones were so small back then you know i know i can't believe we were, we were actually using phones like these though back in the day um going to what we have now it's, it's like kind of crazy kids growing up now they're like what is that? Is that a toy? <laughs> um, yeah, it's wild to me. Yeah, so this little one, the cheaper one, has a 
3.6 inch touchscreen. Like, oh, okay. Think original T Mobile G1 uh, yeah, yeah, HTC. Yeah, yeah. Like, think original iPhone. That's 3.5 inch. 3.5, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Wow. That's small, right? That's still, that's still tiny. Wow. So, anyway, these are going to be like deck of card, like basically size. And I think the slightly better model has a slightly bigger screen. Gotcha. Yeah, so 355 for the cheaper model that doesn't have the super fancy audio circuitry. Mm-hmm. And then we've got no pricing on the higher end one with all the gold plating and the oxygen gotcha. free copper and the um this uh, it's got it's got a balanced headphone jack, the four point four millimeter super rare, you know, headphone wow. jack. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So anyway, I like the idea that you can get a dedicated music player. Would I mm-hmm. spend the money on it? Probably not. But if Sony sent me a review unit, I'd use it. Hundred percent. Honestly, I would honestly just bring that instead of my phone if I go on walks. I love going on morning walks, and uh, whether I'm using a Pixel Watch or my Apple Watch Ultra, and it has cellular, so I can just leave my phone at home, bring that Walkman with me, just you know, go for a walk. Yeah, and I think this is targeted towards people who have a music collection physically in in file format, like in FLAC or Mm -hmm. you know some sort of DSD. Uh, super high quality audio and th- this takes micro SD so it's got built in storage but you can expand it and uh, you know that's the idea like you're not probably not going to want to stream Apple Music or Spotify on this. No, so you, you probably no. want to download uh, your Apple Music like lossless Apple audio or right. 360 audio or whatever but it's still not going to compare to like you know files that like FLAC for example no no if you I mean uh, the lossless Apple stuff is probably going to compare, but I think yeah. the um, n- nothing that Spotify has is going to come close. Yeah, Spotify. Uh, you can go title, title right? if you're title, if you have a subscription sure. title, you'll you'll really benefit on this product. I think. Yeah. So you know, and I love that the battery life is expressed in flat playback. <laughs> like that's the reference that just tells you everything you need to know right there. That's amazing. But yeah, this is pretty dope. And then the other thing a lot of, like this article mentions, but a lot of people always ask me about is if you have a pair of Sony headphones or earbuds or a Sony phone, you know, mm-hmm. or or this, you'll see this DSEE setting. Right, and What this right. is, is and it's, up, it's an upsampler. So if your music is sampled at 44.1 or 48, you can upsample it to 96 or whatever. And a lot really? of people are like, what, does it really matter? And it doesn't matter unless you, A, have the hearing that you For can actually it, yeah. notice the difference. Some people can. Yeah. I'm kind mm-hmm. of at the edge of that. Mm-hmm. And if you have really good headphones or earbuds or like really high quality wired, um, you'll because as soon as you Bluetooth, you have a codec in there and you kind of kill everything. Right. Even though LDAC and stuff are really good codecs like Aptex mm-hmm. HD and others, you're still not going to benefit from the quality. But this applet sampling technology... It does work. It does work. And now it's AI-based too. So I think it makes some intelligent choices on how to resample, which gotcha. I think is something you can definitely use machine learning to teach a, an algorithm because we, you know, we have this entire repository of thousands of hundreds of thousands of, of music albums to train the AI with. So right. I would bet no, you that I works totally really get you. Well. Yeah. Anyway, let's switch gears to a bunch of news for upcoming unpacked Samsung Galaxy 
I'm excited. S23 series phones. Samsung just announced the ISOCELL HP2 200 megapixel sensor. And duh, that's going to be the sensor in the S23 Ultra. We knew mm-hmm. that that phone was going to have a 200 megapixel camera that's been yeah. leaked to death. But now we know which sensor it's going to use. And the reason I want to bring this up with you, Mark, is because I feel it's really interesting that there are essentially three Samsung 200 megapixel sensors now. HP1, HP2, HP3. Oh, very, very clever naming convention here. <laughs> but what's interesting is that HP1 was the original. It had mm-hmm. 0.64 micron pixels. Okay. So that's the one that's in the Moto Edge 30 Ultra, in the Xiaomi 12T 12 Pro, Pro, right, and in the Infinix Zero Ultra, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that sensor pixel bins 4 to 1 or 16 to 1. So you get right. 1.28 microns at, you know, 4 to 1, which mm-hmm. gives you a 50 megapixel image, and you get... Yeah. 2.56 microns at 16 to 1 that gives you a 12.5 megapixel image. Wow. Now, there are other benefits. It does 2x zoom lossless, kind of like the iPhone does and, and the, the Pixel, Pixel 7 yeah. series does. But it does it at the sensor level, which is really cool. That's amazing. All right. And then I've experienced that on the my review of the uh, Xiaomi 12T Pro will be or is up by the time you you listen to this podcast, folks. We'll be up on Geekspin. I just reviewed it. I know it's a few months old, but I wanted to play with that 200 megapixel camera, and I wrote mm-hmm. a thousand words on the 200 megapixel camera. Wow! So just I've done a lot of testing and practicing, and my takeaway is that it's not as good. Like the the phone itself, the camera system itself is not as good as what you get on a Pixel Seven or iPhone 14 Pro or or a Galaxy S22 Ultra. Mm-hmm. But there are some tangible benefits to this crazy binning technology and the zooming in particular. You can zoom in at 2x on that thing and just get really high quality photos no matter what, even in right. low light. And then there's a 50 megapixel shooting mode that is the crispest, most detailed thing I've ever seen. Like the 200 megapixel mode is kind of crap because it doesn't benefit from a lot of right. the computational processing that you can do. Yeah. It still looks compressed. It also, you need a lot of light to get really yeah. good benefits out of it. And sure. the image sizes are crazy. 60 megabytes, 50 megabytes for a JPEG. It really is a lot. <laughs> but at 50 megapixel, you're getting images that are 15, 16 megabytes, still manageable. And mm-hmm. you still get all the benefits of HDR stacks and like all that good stuff. And it's crisp as a tasty, delicious donut. Like really wow. So that's HP1, right? And that's six months old. Yeah. HP3 was announced, and I think that's been making it to some mid-range phones. I don't know much about it, but pixel size, I think, is 0.56 micron. It's the smallest pixel size ever. And of course, mm-hmm. you can bend those 4 to 1, 16 to 1, you, you get the same benefits. But this HP2 sits in the middle, hence the name, and mm-hmm. it's 0.6 micron. So not 6.4, not 5.6. It's six. And that's interesting to me that Samsung would pick not the top sensor, but a newer a newer slightly sensor less. with smaller pixels for their yeah. flagship S23 Ultra. Now, of course, it does have some tricks up its sleeve. And one of the things that it can do is 
the, you know, the HDR stacking stuff that I was telling you guys about earlier that every phone does today. Apparently, mm-hmm. I think it can do this faster. And right. that might be why they picked that. Because when you do HDR video, this is going to become a thing. So, yeah, it can do faster frame rates and stuff. Yeah, like I think 15 frames at, at Yeah, still megapixels. photography, which is impressive. Because such a large sensor is really hard to capture, you know, video and still photos very quickly with. So Right. And it could do, I think, 4K HDR at 60 frames per second, which is pretty impressive. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm just curious how it's going to, you know, take advantage of the megapixels and what kind of software tricks uh, So this Samsung's is where I think the other off. big difference is going to be between the Xiaomi I just reviewed. By the way, that Xiaomi has an f over 1.7 lens on that 200 megapixel, better than mm-hmm. the other two phones, which I think yeah. are 1.9 and 2.0, which tells me that hopefully Samsung will do the same because the S22 Ultra with 108 megapixel is an f over 1.8 lens. I'm hoping they mm-hmm. can do 1.7 because, again, more light. But More it's the hard sensor. to do yeah. a, a very fast lens like that on a large, physically large sensor because you, you need a lot of depth. And mm-hmm. you, unless you want the camera pod to be gigantic, is it literally a gigantic <laughs> camera pod on the on the shower? Yeah. It's like sticking out it is. It really like is. five millimeters or something. But the point is, this is exciting. This is interesting. I think that we're going to see some improvements here because of the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. I think that's what's holding back the Xiaomi right now. The sensor has some cool tricks up its sleeve, but that 8 Plus Gen 1, the ISP is not optimized to work with a 200 megapixel sensor all the time, every picture, Mm -hmm. every video, right? And it's not struggling, but I think that they're not able to do the optimizations they need to do to really take advantage Mm -hmm. of this kind of, you know, sensor. And so I'm not trying to be optimistic too much here because... We kind of got burned with the S20 Ultra. Remember the first mm-hmm. 108 megapixel sensor? Yeah, and it, it wasn't, wasn't that super well tuned, yeah. right? But then S21 yeah. Ultra and S22 Ultra are super great. So, yeah. yeah. But I, I'm optimistic because this is not their first sensor. And, no. you know, the 8 Gen 2 will give it some processing benefits. Right. And I was still very impressed with what I saw from that first gen sensor on an 8 plus gen one on the xiaomi 12t pro like there is def- like i went into it going i come on 200 megapixels and then i came out of it going i said like, the huh, same thing <laughs> huh yeah. that 50 megapixel mode is so crisp i'm like wow like yeah it was really sharp yeah and then but the 12.5 megapixel default mode was not that competitive in my opinion it felt yeah. actually softer than it should be and then yeah, it wasn't the zoom, special. The zoom was pretty good at 2x. 4x was eh, and anything beyond that was yeah. not very competitive. You're better off pulling out your, honestly, the Pixel 7 base model with the oh. Super Res zoom where it does the, I love, you know, I yeah, love it. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've got my Pixel 7 Pro right here. <laughs> I got the 7, the regular one right here. Yeah. I love so, it. So, look, I, I just wanted to see what you thought of this because. You know, you obviously you've used the uh, 12T Pro, right? And uh, you've got a Pixel 7. So what's your thoughts on this? Do you think it's, like, I don't think it's necessary, but I think it's interesting that they're experimenting. Um, so for me, I mean, I focus a lot on my reviews on like the camera performance, just because that's where a lot of the bigger changes are every single year or every single month that there's a new smartphone. It's like, 
yeah, every spec is almost the same. They perform the same. Software might be different, but cameras are probably the biggest, you know, difference in, in all these phones that we use. Um, and for me, I think the 12T Pro, like you said, it shoots really, really good 50 megapixel photos. The 200 megapixel photos are massive. And the zooming capabilities when you actually crop in into that 200 megapixel uh, photo, it's okay, but you could still tell that it's um, heavily compressed or just processed yeah. where you know it's taken on a smartphone. Um, there are some phones that are almost just as good as mirrorless cameras nowadays, like Pixel 7 Pro, Pixel 7, um, even the Xiaomi 12S Ultra, in my Oh opinion, my God, what a beast that is. I know. I, I love, I prefer having a bigger sensor than a bigger megapixel. Me too. That's, that's just choice. me. Um, Absolutely. You know, and it, the same goes for like the actual cameras that I use to produce videos. It's like I'd rather shoot on a full frame camera rather than a uh, APS-C crop camera just because one, I have more depth, depth of field. I have better dynamic range. Um, and it's just all comes down to the sensor, really. It's not always about the megapixels. Uh, so for me, I mean, I, I say this in every review. I think the Pixel 7 Pro, Pixel 7 takes one of the better photos on Android. I mean, I put them side by side and I didn't do a side by side in my, in my review. This is a review of the whole phone. I didn't want to do a comparison. I was, that's what I wasn't paid for doing a comparison here. And I would have literally written 3000 words if I'd done a comparison. Yeah. But I feel like I did put them side by side. Yeah. The Pixel 7 Pro, I mean, especially with the telephoto, just blew it away. I think it's just more consistent, right? The Pixel 7s, Pixel 7 Pros are more consistent wherever you shoot, outside, indoors, poor lighting. Um, It's just uh, the white balance, too, in my opinion, is better. Yes, yes. I think overall there needs more tuning. But here's the thing. You reviewed it early on, right? Because it's gotten a couple of software updates and it's gotten better. So they're tuning that camera. It's definitely better. I still feel that... In 12.5 megapixel, it's soft. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a one-trick pony in a way. It's like, you want to shoot at 50 megapixel? Awesome. Yeah. You want to zoom at 2x? Awesome. Everything else? Meh. Because honestly, yeah. low light, yes, you get 16 to 1 pixel, but you get these 2.56 you know, micron pixels. Mm-hmm. Lovely. But the low light performance isn't any better in, in because it's still shooting at that 12.5 megapixel mode that is just soft. As you yeah. said, there's like a lot of either compression artifacts or noise reduction or something happening that's yeah. just soft. And like the Pixel and the iPhone and the S22 Ultra are just going to blow yeah. it away there. And so I, I feel like it's that's just tuning. I, there's no doubt that sensor can do their job. There's no yeah. doubt about it. It's just more like they need to tune it. And so that's why I can't re- recommend this phone right now. But I, I feel like if you are looking for the crispest high-res, you know, daytime or lower light but not super dark kind of scenes that phone mm-hmm. that 50 megapixel mode mm, delicious it's it's great yeah it's really nice so yeah let's talk quickly about a bunch of leaks and rumors of course i'm not going to dwell on this much but the specs are now very well leaked for the s23 series i'll put two mm-hmm. links uh, to GSM Arena that have kind of summarized it all for us in a nice way since they're like the big database holder of all things phone. Yeah, so the S23 Ultra and S23 Plus and regular S23 are well documented. Mm-hmm. Check out the specs. There's really no surprises here, right, Mark? 
No, no. I mean, it's everything that we pretty much expected. Um, I think from what I'm looking at uh, spec wise, it's pretty much just like a refinement of S22. Very right? evolutionary. Yep. Um, they didn't really do much in terms of design that's different from S22. Maybe slightly, you know, better uniformity all throughout the design, but spec wise, I mean, it's pretty much what we've expected. I think people are going to like the new. Some people are going to like the new camera pod, which has more like three independent little lenses on the the lesser mm-hmm. S23s. And for the mm-hmm. Ultra, it looks so similar to the 22 Ultra that, you know, yeah. of course, we know we got that 200 megapixel ISOCELL HP2 now. We know we have 8 Gen 2 across the board. So, you know, I think that display sizes, batteries, all that seems to be very evolutionary. But Hey, we're like what two weeks away now? So two weeks away, ten days away, even. Yeah, yeah. we're Stay getting tuned, there. Folks. So yeah, <laughs> we're we're eventually gonna find out what it really is. Be ready is. for a tidal wave of like mm-hmm. when Apple does the iPhone, where that's all we're gonna talk about it till MWC. <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. Mm-hmm. Another uh, little tidbit of interest in the news is that Dave Two D, awesome mm-hmm. YouTube creator up from Canada, from Toronto got his hands on a Pixel Fold dummy, the kind of Ooh, devices yeah. that are used by case makers to, to make sure that validate that their cases are going to fit the phone. So mm-hmm. we, we can trust, hopefully, this to be the final design because they wouldn't be right. putting dummies out there for the case makers no. yet. And no. he got his hands on one. And I will let you watch the video and I'm going to ask you, Mark, what your thoughts were because I think it's really showing us clearly how it slots in between the the Z Fold from Samsung and the mm-hmm. Fine N series from from Oppo, right? In terms of right. size, yeah. No, I mean, I I love the Oppo's N two. Yeah, the yeah. N two. The size on this is amazing. So if we could get something like that for the fo- uh, Pixel Fold, I, I am a hundred percent closer down. to the Fine N two than to the Z Fold four. It seems which like. is which is. I'm okay with because yeah, I actually I'm 100% love, on board. I love the Fine N2's um, bold, like the outer display much better than having like a much taller display. It's like opinion. having an iPhone mini in front of you when you ha- use it That's closed. right. It's That's just a right. bit thicker and heavier. Of course, and, it's a little um, lighter on the N2 now. I also so. have the, the Xiaomi Mix Fold 2. Oh, which, nice. In my opinion, was my f- yeah. it, it was my favorite from last year. Uh, until I, you know, got my hands on the Oppo Find N2, but this literally feels like you're using a normal phone when it's, you know, folded. Closed. Yeah, because of the thinness then, of it. Yeah, and it completely shuts flat, yeah. right? Yeah. And then when you open it up, it's like you have like a tablet, which is amazing. So, so we're uh, gonna get that, that from the Pixel Fold. Like it looks like Dave did a measurement of the thickness. It's five millimeters open, so it's going to be close mm-hmm. to 10 millimeters closed. That's like a slightly thicker phone. It's going to be close mm-hmm. to normal. And then... I'm okay with that. <laughs> does fold flat, which you know, because it's using the same kind of like teardrop hinge mechanism as the, yeah. the uh, Oppo. Um, yep. Speaking of which, by the way, my Oppo Fine N2 review unit is coming still. Somehow they completely forgot about me this year. They oh, sent me no. the, the original Fine N last year, right. but then right. on time. But this time I was like, hey, guys. And they're like, oh, sorry, oh. crap. And then they're like, oh, we're <laughs> out of units. Uh, let's see if we can get oh, you Oh, no. Yeah. So I'm just like, hey, guys, you forgot. Uh, <laughs> well, I will say just to spoil it for you, you're, you're going to love it. 
So. No, I know I'm gonna love it because I love the end. So, and I've seen everybody's video now. You guys have yeah. kind of spoiled it for me. It's okay though. I do have the Red Magic Eight Pro here, folks. So that's a cool phone. So stay Ooh. tuned for that. My review is gonna be coming up on hot hardware at some point. Last bit of news. There are some Pixel 8 rumors. I don't want to dwell yep. on them too much, but yeah. I'm going to link to an Android Police article where they seem to be summarizing everything we know. What stands out to me is that we're going to see some new sensors potentially on the camera systems. So Which that might could be a be good thing. Good thing, right? Might be. Might be. Yeah, because, it could be. Um, I mean, how long were they using the old sensor before they updated the Pixel 6 one uh, from Pixel 1 through 5, right? Yeah. And but then, look, they did manage to update the software and tune the 6 and 6 Pro to be pretty decent in the end. And yep. of course, the 7, the tensor is really doing a lot of the hefty lifting because the sensors are pretty similar, right? Mm -hmm. Other than the they've gone all Samsung now on the 7 and 7 Pro. So mm -hmm. I expect this to be still all Samsung, but with some newer sensors. And I'm actually feeling confident because I feel like Google's kind of gotten the memo, right? They can't yeah. have their hardware stagnate too much. I kind of right. almost feel like it might be a little too early to upgrade that hardware. Like, I feel like yeah. I want to see like they more. Could do something more. I want to see better tensor performance in terms of especially mm -hmm. efficiency and battery life before I That's want right. even new sensors. But if somehow they can give us even better HDR and better low light performance, if we can get another one, if we can get another one of those Pixel 2 moments, remember when the Pixel 2 just blew us away with the low light? Yeah. And yeah. I remember I was in Hong oh, Kong. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And I shot downtown from the other side and mm -hmm. and victoria harbor and i was like oh my effing god i have never seen a low light shot like this come out of a phone yeah not ever. a lot of noise and it was clear yeah that so. was you know that was the beginning of night mode on the pixel and mm -hmm. you know other companies had done it before huawei had done a night mode before that but yeah. this was the first time that we were like, okay, yeah, we get it. We get it. Yeah. This is this is a deal. Like this whole concept of super stacking images uh, super fast and getting a composite. Long exposure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they do for, I mean, in terms of the camera. Um, I don't think for the design wise, I, I love the Pixel 7's design more than the 6. I think it's just a the perfect, amount of refinement um so I'm, i mean i'm excited to see what they do with uh the camera sensors yeah i mean i'm i'm not big on putting rumors this early on the pixels and stuff i'm generally not big on rumors much but i feel like you know this is is an interesting thought exercise for all of us mm -hmm. here listening and you know you guys you can go back after you've listened to this show and kind of ruminate on this what does it mean to you if they change the sensors on this are you afraid are you like oh it's going to be another year of we might not get the best performance because they're figuring it out or do you think like me where i think they've kind of learned their lesson and you know we've seen them be able to adapt and i feel pretty confident that they're not going to mess this up I kind of feel like Google is on a positive trajectory finally like on the Pixel line of products, you know? Yeah. So that's my thoughts. I'd love to hear your comments, folks. Uh, hit us up on Twitter and in the comments on my YouTube channel. Speaking of which, we need to wrap up, Mark. So yeah. do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, like your social media handles and your YouTube channel, yeah. all the good stuff? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and it's all the same handle at HeyMarkL. So it's H-E-Y-M-A-R-K-L. And yeah, hope to see y'all there. 
Awesome, folks. Definitely subscribe to Mark's channel and, you know, hit us up both on Twitter with questions and comments. You know, my handle is at Tanker, like T-N-K-G-R, like the comic book character. Drop all the vowels. That's my Twitter handle. It's also my Instagram handle. So if you want to look at pretty pictures of phones, pretty pictures of cars, of travel, of tech, all taken with phones. So check out my Instagram. I just posted some of my photos from the 12T Pro. Of course, they're compressed to death, so you're not going to really enjoy them. But it gives you an idea of what it can do. And then, of course, you know the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. Please consider liking or reviewing the podcast in your app if it lets you do that. And of course, there's a couple of YouTube channels, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast and youtube.com slash mobile tech more. You should subscribe to them. That's where I give you some visuals to go alongside this podcast. If you want to see some of the devices we just talked about, like you've never seen a Xiaomi 12T Pro. Well, I just posted my video unboxing of it where I walk you through all of the angles and sides of it. I have been trying to do three videos a week because I recorded a ton of videos last year and never published them. So I'm going through a backlog right now trying to edit and publish three videos a week for the next little while until I feel like I've kind of run out of material that's relevant because I can't go too far back in time. But uh, hopefully you, you'll play along and comment in the comments and do all the YouTube things, like, subscribe, tell your friends, you know, click the little bell, all that stuff. But yeah, comment about the podcast, comment about the videos, and uh, yeah, stay tuned for more. And then, of course, the Patreon, patreon.com slash tankerl. That's patreon.com slash tnkgrl. If you want to really help me out, the best way to help me out is Patreon. What you get is a video version of the podcast ahead of the audio version about a day before. And you get it less edited and you get to see my face, Mark's face, off phones that we're brandishing and stuff. And it's a little bit more personal, right? So, uh, Consider paying for that and helping me out. That's one tier. There's also a way to join the Discord server and chat with me. There's also a bunch of other stuff there to check out. So consider Patreon, patreon.com slash TNKGRL. And finally, I want to thank MediaTek for being our sponsors this week. MediaTek powers nearly 2 billion connected devices a year and is a market leader in developing innovative systems on a chip for mobile device, home entertainment, connectivity, and IoT products. Thanks again to MediaTek for sponsoring this podcast. And Mark, I want to thank you for being my guest this week. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. No, this has been a blast. Awesome. Well, listen, we'll have you on at some point in the future again. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.